Good morning. Don't you just love the creative nature of our worship team? Uh, man, that was so cool. Um, I never imagined that they could pull that off. And when uh, Nick told me that that might happen, uh, man, that is so awesome. So uh, thank you guys for, uh, man, just going above and beyond and encouraging us. And uh, too bad I don't get to preach this morning in a pool. Uh, but we're going to do it right here. And uh, But I, I just want you to be encouraged this morning in the Lord. Uh, there's There's not many things around us that we can really find encouragement in, so reliable as the Lord himself in his word. And so I have found encouragement um, specifically in the last few hours, um, just encouraged in the Lord. So I come before you today um, looking to uh, have a discussion about every believer's battle. Um, it's things that we as believers fight and, and battle uh, both externally and internally, and I'm here to encourage you because I believe that God has been walking me through these battles over the course of the last week in my own heart to be able to stand and encourage uh, the body of Christ with the truth of God's word. And so I, I, didn't, I, I didn't ask Stephen uh, Arterburn, he's the one that wrote Every Man's Battle, and uh, he also wrote Every Woman's Battle. I didn't ask him if I could name the sermon this morning, uh, but I, uh, it's no greater way to describe it this morning. Uh, so often we don't really realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, and I love what Paul says, that um, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, against one another. We're wrestling against rulers and against authorities against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly, or not, not actually, there's, obviously there's not evil in heaven. It's speaking of supernatural places. And, uh, and truth be told, um, years and years of walking with the Lord, I've, I've acknowledged so many times that when there's, there's dissension in relationships or misunderstandings, many times I've acknowledged that it's, it is absolutely of the devil that there's separation or those, those things. I just remember uh, probably three years ago, my wife and I were in our home, and as with most relationships, probably with most marital relationships, sometimes you go through a season where you're you're fighting, and it's a fight starts one day, and you don't obey the word of God, uh, where it says, "Don't let the sun go down over your wrath," and and you just kind of you wake up the next morning reinvigorated by this battle with my wife. And so I was. Uh, I remember we started bickering one night. We went to bed with it, separate beds, and uh, woke up the next morning just cold towards each other throughout that day, didn't hardly talk. We went to bed. I know you can't imagine that happening with Brandy and I, but just battling with each other. And I remember at a certain point, we were a couple days into this. And that's shameful for me to even say out loud. But we were a couple days into this battle, and I, I remember we just forgot what we were fighting about. And, uh, and we just stopped where we were, and we prayed. And, and as we were praying, I, I remember the prayer itself was about uh, James where he talks about, I think in chapter 4, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And, uh, and we just stopped where we were and said, uh, man, he, you have no authority over us in our relationship. 
And, uh, and because of the blood of Jesus right now, not because of our authority, but because of the blood of Jesus, will you make our relationship right and our home right? And it's crazy how God takes a little situation that is not worth probably even fighting about, and, and God or Satan uh, causes division, and then God restores it whole. And so we're going to do a series over the next couple weeks on the book of James. And uh, James, the, the faith that works, um, by the way, is the first book that was actually written uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and if you want to think with me for a minute, where were you 12 years ago? I, I want you to just stop and think. Maybe you could tell your family that is sitting around you right now. Where were you 12 years ago? Uh, what was life like? who was in your family at the time, where were you living. Uh, just, just think about 12 years ago. It really, if you're getting older in age, 12 years ago doesn't seem like very much time at all. So you can think pretty vividly about details in your life 12 years ago. Now, I just want you to remember, as this book is being written, um, it's anywhere from 12 to 18 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so as people are reading these, these words, they're not, it's not some distant memory of Jesus being alive and walking this earth. Many people that are reading this remember and saw him and, and remember the cross and saw the resurrection. Or, you know, so we're, we're talking about a man that was there among the days of Jesus. And so much so as we look into it, like, we look into it, who was James? Because there's four Jameses mentioned in the, in the New Testament. And only two of them, we really consider two possibilities. One of them being James, the son of, uh, of Zebedee, the brother of John. And uh, as you look in the word of God in Acts chapter 12, it does say about the time Herod the king laid violent hands to someone who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And this happened before the book of James was written. And so they eliminate him as a possibility, one of the disciples of Jesus. Ironically, most people, and I would say uh, nearly all people, would accept that James, the brother of Jesus, was the one who authored this book. Now you think about that. And by the way, when Jesus walked this earth, uh, one place in, in John chapter 7 says, for not even his brothers believed him. They weren't persuaded. And, and imagine being the brother, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You know, you're, you think, I know there's a comedian called, his name is Michael Jr., and I remember on one of his bits he said, uh, could you imagine being James's, uh, or Jesus' brother? And uh, his mother's like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? And uh, just, just to think about that, though, in real terms, you saw your half-brother go to a cross and claim to be God, and, and you watched him, and, and it says, not until the resurrection do we see James, the brother of Jesus, believing and gathered with the believers there. And so uh, as you look through, I, I have this, uh, this, this quote that was so practical, so describes this book. And he says, uh, a guy named, named J. Ronald uh, Blue, he's a professor, was formerly a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, 
said the book of James is designed to exhort and encourage, to challenge and convict, and to rebuke and revive, to describe practical holiness and drive believers toward the goal of faith that works. The goal of faith that works. So James is severely ethical, like like unashamedly, he's very direct and severely ethical, but yet refreshingly practical. And so as we walk through this, you'll see it's, it, you don't have to stretch far to get glean things from as we walk through the book of James. So James chapter 1, uh, we see James now understanding this is most likely the brother of Jesus, a servant of God, and the, the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In other words, the, the Jews that were fleeing because of persecution and believers, by the way. Jews who were now believing in the resurrected Jesus. He says, greetings. And we turn and the focus now is on trials. Uh, the focus is on things that we go through, we, we endure, we walk through. And so he's encouraging us to be faithful in trials. Uh, it's it's uh as you look through Jesus is or James was writing to people who were running for their life. When you say the dispersion, that means they were running for their lives and gathering all their things and their family and moving to Gentile nations and spreading out all over the world. And his job here, as he was writing, he was desiring to encourage the church while they were going through troubles. And you think about why would James be motivated to encourage the church even in the midst of trials? We're gonna look at that here in a minute. But, but you think God was using this dispersion to spread the gospel around the world. That in the midst of a terrible situation that nobody could imagine that God would glorify his name in it, God was spreading the gospel all over the world through his church. And so in encouraging, while he's encouraging the church, he says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. Uh, and let me pause. When we're going through trials, uh, I notice here it says, when you meet trials. It doesn't say if you meet trials. It says when you meet trials. It may, the idea is we're all going to face trials. And some are walking in it today. And the last thing that naturally you would ever want to do is to rejoice. And we talked about that last week, to be rejoice and be thankful that God is walking you through this trial. He is encouraging them to count it joy because God is working it for a purpose. It says, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. And that perfection is not speaking of sinless perfection, not like, um, not speaking, it's speaking specifically of completeness, like uh, maturity. And uh, as, we, as we go through these trials, 
Um, usually what we're saying is, God, will you make it stop? Will you make this trial stop? I'm done with it. I can't take it anymore. Make it stop. And the whole while, Jesus himself is saying, you, you don't need it to stop. You need my grace. That in the most, the most burdensome trial, God is working it for his purpose, and what you need right now is the grace of God. That's what he told Paul. Paul was requesting that God would take away this thorn that was meant to draw him low and humble him. God working a purpose in his life, and, and when he, he asked God three times, will you take it away, his response was, my grace is sufficient for you. We need his grace. We don't need the removal of trial. We need his grace in this moment. For my power is made perfect, made complete, made mature in weakness. We begin to understand the power of God when we are drawn low in weakness. The reality is trials can draw you either closer to Christ or push you further away. Depending on the position of your heart before God, when you believe God and you trust God, then a trial will turn you to God. But if your heart is reluctant to trust him, reluctant to believe what he said is true, then your heart is pushed away from God when the storm comes. And so as, as we realize that he is enough, you just begin to endure and as you walk through these things, you're enduring these trials. God is maturing you. He's strengthening you for something that he'll use you down the road. Uh, my wife and I, when we first moved down uh, south, uh, we were just a young couple. We didn't have any kids. Uh, we had just moved from South Point down to uh, Atlanta area. And as we were down there, uh, the night after we moved to Georgia, uh, my wife found out she was pregnant. And uh, you can imagine, we're unpacking boxes in our new home, this new adventure. And uh, as we were pack unpacking boxes, my wife said, something feels different. Uh, I think something's going on. We need to go to Walmart and get a pregnancy test. And we took that pregnancy test and uh, found out we were pregnant the night after we moved to Georgia. And, uh, and we carried, she carried the child for a couple months. And I remember I was at the gym with uh, a friend that I was developing close friendship with. And she called me bawling uh, and urgently saying, John, you need to come home. And I didn't know what it was. And I took off to go home, and, and I found my wife. Um, she, was, she was mourning because she believed that the child was dead inside of her. This, uh, this little fetus, this baby, was dead. And so I remember we went through the whole process and testing, and, um, man, it was such a, such a, man, a terrible situation to miscarry uh, just very difficult, especially for her. And because it was difficult for her, it was difficult for me. But after only being there at that church for, for a couple months, uh, I remember my wife was, came to church um, the Sunday after, uh, after she miscarried that child. And uh, as she sat in the pew and just wept, there was a, there was a woman, her name's Karen Strevel, um, she came over, and she, just, she didn't say, it's going to be okay. God will give you more kids. 
She didn't try to counsel her. All she did was sit, put her arm around her, and sat there and cried. Because Karen understood. She had, she had walked through the heavy season multiple times, went through that same circumstance, and God was showing her through those years and those struggles that his grace was sufficient in the middle of that trial. And she had so much confidence and knew the heart feeling that my wife was feeling. And her ministry in my wife's life was probably one of the most uh, powerful things that helped my wife understand that she was a part of that church in Georgia. And I just, I just, I acknowledge that God used her because God drew her through a, a dark season of her life. And her strength, that the strength of God was made perfect in her weakness, and she could now encourage others. She was walking in maturity. But as you're walking through these trials, look at what he says. He continues. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. I love the King James Version. Uh, King James Version says liberally. It's like he lavishes it on him. To all who uh, to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Uh, if you're lacking wisdom, especially in trials, that's uh, man. The trials you you have all these questions and what should I do, and and you're struggling with all these options. And listen, this promise here is is that this massive supply of wisdom is available to us if we ask. It's available to us if we ask. Um, trials have a way of showing us our inadequacy and, and drawing us to take no confidence in ourselves. I, I, as you get drawn, just walking through a trial, you acknowledge that I am desperate for wisdom, I'm desperate for direction, and, and you, you, I, I love this. Uh, there's a verse, uh, Proverbs 12, 15, it says that. Um, I think I wrote, the, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. Like, it draws you to a place where you're hungry for wise counsel and seeking to know and understand what is true. And, and so trials have a way of, of drawing us to that point where we're desperate in need of the truth of God's word and, and desperate in prayer. And, and as I think about it, we have never, as a church, walked through a season like this. We have never, we don't know how to navigate. We have never, and so what it's done is it, it's drawn us to a place where we're so desperate for the leading of the Lord because we have no hope and confidence in ourselves. Imagine, uh, just think with me here just for a minute. It'll help you understand uh, my sentiment on my heart. Uh, imagine we're on a plane and we're flying from our destination uh, whether it's from Huntington uh, Tri-State Airport, uh, somewhere. We're on the plane, we're flying along, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the pilot throws on a parachute and jumps out the window and, uh, and flies down, like floats down to Tennessee. You see where I'm going with this now. Uh, we're, we're now flying in the middle of the storm and we're hitting turbulence and, and our our uh, pilot at this moment is, uh, is in Tennessee, and you're sitting in the back, and if it's me, it's probably going to be economy always. Uh, me and my poor people are going to sit in the back, and uh, as we're sitting there, uh, 
a stewardess comes and taps on the shoulder and said, sir, would you be willing to come fly the plane? <laughs> like, I've never flown a plane before. I can't do this. You imagine coming up and sitting in this thing. The urgency of that moment is that you would be doing everything you can to get, get contact with air traffic control and help seek any counsel to know exactly how to do this. And the reality is that it really you have no confidence in your ability to fly a plane. You've never done it before. As you sit in this controller, you, you have no confidence in anything of your own ability, but you are fully confident in the one that knows how to do this. In the same situation, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, as the Spirit of God is walking us through it, it is our only hope that he guides us. And I have a lot of confidence in him, by the way. And so, listen, James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. That's, by the way, it's believing that God is capable. Just without faith, ask in faith without doubting. He, God is capable. There's nothing too hard for him, nothing too difficult. And it says that for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. It's never calm. For that person must, sorry, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let me just explain what this person, in the context of this, this person is the one that says, I believe and I trust God. When things are good, then in the minute that things become bad, it's difficult for them to trust God. It's double-minded and all unstable. Uh, it's hard to trust him. I don't know if I can really trust him in this trial. Listen, uh, you can trust him, and he will walk you through it. He goes into this, verse 9. It says, it's not wanting to stay there. All right. Let the lowly brother, and uh, lowly brother, it's talking about just a poor man, just somebody that has no hope in this world. Like just, I, I'm going to be poor to the day I die. Uh, but it says, let him boast in his exaltation or like this idea of riches that when we're, when we're, uh, we have nothing in this world to claim and we're walking through the trials of this life, remember that your father, your father owns a cattle on a thousand hills and that he, he is, he's able to provide and we rejoice because we're rich because of Jesus. But it says, and the rich the people with wealth and have things to claim in this world or building this life for this world. And when you walk in this place of humiliation where you're just broken in the middle of a trial, it says because like a flower of the grass, he will pass. All those things of this world, like the wealth and the things we're chasing after will pass. It says for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Flower falls and the beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I don't know if you know this man. Uh, some people call him prime time. Um, some people, well, 
Neon Dion. I don't know. I can't remember all the things, but uh, he's one of the greatest players. Some some would say he's the greatest cornerback uh, that's ever played the game of football. Uh, he was electric. I remember watching him at uh, the Atlanta Falcons uh, for years, and they say he's the one that built the Georgia Dome. But I remember, too, when he went to the Cowboys when they were winning national or, or uh, Super Bowl championships. And uh, so he's, he's kind of a legend. He's always been, uh, but he had it all. He was one of the wealthiest football players, and he was living like just lavishly spending and, and partying and living that life. He had a wife. He had a couple kids. And at a certain point, that the relationships, because he's living for himself, Living for the pleasure, the relationships, and and what it, what I, I want to get to the point. He he lost his wife in a divorce, and it ended him at, at on a bridge, looking down at icy waters, looking down at the water below, not worth living his life. This man had it all, but that stuff does not matter when you go through a hard time. Ironically, God spared his life and he gave his heart and life to Christ. And it's a crazy story um, you can read for yourself on your own time. But just to say that riches don't mean a thing to you when you're going through a trial, when you're walking through something. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, faithfully perseveres. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, or literally, it's an Olympic wreath that's placed on the victor. It says, which God has promised to those who love him. This all pictures of, of the Bema seat when we will stand before him and our, our works done as followers of Jesus, our works done um, will be rewarded for those things. And he, Paul even mentions and a play to the church of Corinth says, do you not know that in all in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a pride? So run, run, that you may obtain it. With all your heart, go forward. And uh, so, so he shifts at this point from kind of pri- primarily external uh, trials, things that are coming from the outside to something that's from the inside at this point. And it's another kind of test that tests your faith, but a, a, a battle within, he, he challenges us to be freed from temptation, just warns us about temptation in James chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, and by the way, when you see this, do you think, man, I can't be free from my temptation? I can't be free from this thing that has constantly bombarded me for all these years. Um, I've always struggled. And by the way, temptation isn't sin. But when you follow after temptation, it leads to sin. And I, I, I think about this, and I, I don't have my phone on me, um, but I think about this. Uh, you think about all the temptations uh, now, this next generation, especially you sitting at home during COVID-19, I believe that probably your phone consumption, your time on your phone has, has hugely increased during COVID-19. And so uh, I think about pornography and just, just sexual lusting, uh, things that happen on your phone. Ironically, like reports are coming out that pornography consumption has exponentially increased over this, these last month and a half. Uh, 
you know, as, as you look at it, the temptation to compare with other people, social media is so such a powerful thing that holds us in prison of comparison. And, and as we compare ourselves to others, it's all based, it, it really sets the stage for our self-worth. Like, we struggle to really value ourselves because we're comparing ourselves to others, and it's because we spend so much time on our phones. Um, the other thing, just tempted to worry, just walk into anxiety. You can watch the news one evening. You could watch for one hour, and uh, some of you will have worry and anxiety stir up in your heart. And if you think that those things that you've been bound in uh, much of your life, that, that that's going to be the rest of your life, let me, let me explain something. Uh, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. If you think that the thing that you're struggling with, you just feel like you're in bondage, that you can't have freedom, then you don't understand that, that Christ has come to set you free. So he says in verse 13, let no one say when I'm tempted, he's tempted of God. Or, or, or let, let me read that how it says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You know, God allows the temptation, but he also gives you a way of escape. It's, it's not him that originated that temptation. He allows it. And, and by the way, temptation is, a, is an opportunity that God is placing to test our faith on the inside. It says, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The devil knows exactly how to lure you away. The devil knows exactly your worm that he's going to put on that hook. Uh, you think about a, a fish that's swarming around and he sees this worm on a hook and probably most people, well, some people still use worms, obviously crickets, different things, but he sees this worm and all this fish is thinking is, oh, there's dinner. He latches onto this worm and he doesn't realize that there's a hook and that hook, it, it grabs hold of him, he can't break free. The reality is Satan has, has baited your hook with the exact thing that he knows he can get you. And so then desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. Like this desire in my heart for that thing that looks good, that worm on the hook, gives birth to sin. And when sin has grown, it brings forth death. Uh, I think it's ironic, all these word pictures that James uses, um, I have seen nearly every mother go through this process. My wife did the same, not probably as, as thoroughly as this, but uh, as your belly begins to, um, you, you grow a baby bump. Uh, as that begins, you, you, the conception happened, but you really didn't notice until a little bit of time of walking in this thing, and it's the idea that over time, it's very evident. At first, my sin is not real evident. I hide it good, but before long, it, it grows and grows. And the reality is, um, the reality is, I've never met a smoker, someone that struggles with, with any form of nicotine cigarettes. Uh, I've never met a smoker that began smoking because they wanted lung cancer. 
I've never met an alcoholic that began drinking because they wanted to have liver failure. Subtle. It's a process that draws you in, and before long, you're so hooked that you can't break free, and you don't realize the danger when you start. Um, there's not a, probably a man uh, that has fallen into sexual temptation, a married man that's fallen into sexual temptation. Men don't just wake up one day. Women don't wake up one day and say, today I'm going to cheat on my spouse. That's not what happens. Normally it starts with a look. It, it grows into kind of a respect, like showing and honoring kindness and respect. And then it develops into maybe a little bit more attention and relationship growing and like uh, emotional connection. And it grows. And then occasionally there's like an expression of physical intimacy. Reality is men and women don't wake up one day and say, today I'm going to cheat on my spouse but the reality is every man is one decision away from stupid. I love that quote. I've quoted it before. Uh, Johnny Hunt. And uh, uh, my heart is heavy to even say this as you think about that word picture. But a fish that bites that worm could never imagine that it'd be filleted on a plate. And we don't know that how far our sin can take us. Um, we, we can't imagine right now that our sin could lead to death. But the truth of God's word is that my sin will lead to death. So do not be deceived, my brothers. Um, like, beware. Beware. I, first, it's not God that put it there. It's a desire of your heart. Just beware. And, and don't place yourself in a situation where you can be enticed. Like, you know where you're going to be. You know if you're struggling right now with an emotional connection between a person that you should not be connected, you know where to go where that person is. And you know where to go where that person is not. Steer clear of it. Don't be deceived. And God didn't place that in your life. Verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. Like every good gift, I think I mentioned last week, every good gift, like the, the process of giving gifts, he's good, and the gift itself that he gave is good. The reality is he allows trials and temptations because he is good, and it places, it's hard to believe that his desire is to strengthen our faith. Not to cause us to stumble. So as we're walking through this, understand it in the context of this passage, God is in his goodness is allowing us to walk through trials and allowing us to be tempted to strengthen our faith. It says, of his own will, his sovereignty, he brought us forth. It's an idea of like regeneration, bringing forth, like born again. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Like the change that he made in us points all of creation to the change that he will make eventually. And one day when he sets all things right and this, this earth is uh, uh, wasted away and uh, he, he brings a new heaven and a new earth. And the, the fruit of how he's changed our life 
The evidence of the change in my life, in your life, is to point all of creation to say the day is coming when he's going to make all things new. And so, uh, as we looked, um, he said, be faithful in trials. He said, be freed from temptation by following the truth. And uh, I I want you to see, uh, I, I didn't put it on here, but Jesus himself said this. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And listen, he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth has the power to set you free. Um, I wish I would have put it up on the screen for you to see so you're not just hearing, but I want you to hear this. Truth helps you embrace trials. It's the truth that helps you embrace it. It's understanding that there's a purpose behind this trial, and so rather than run from it, it's you learn to embrace the trial. It's the truth that helps you to reject temptations. It's the thing that says there's a hook behind that worm. The, the truth is that you're seeing a worm right now, but there's a hook. The truth is the thing that allows you to, to not fall into temptation, allows you to be faithful in trials. And so he says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And remember, this is in the context of the trials and temptations. Like it's, 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 you can respond wrongly within a trial. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not. So therefore, therefore put off, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. It's the idea that before you open your Bible to hear from the Lord that day, say, Lord Jesus, will you show me the areas of my life that I'm not surrendered, that I'm walking in sin? Will you show it? May I confess in this moment? And then when you turn your attention to the word of God, it says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But look at this. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. The reality, I wanted to get a picture of a teenager who's looking in a mirror. Could you imagine getting up, your hair's all messed up, you didn't shave, obviously I haven't shaved in a while, but there's, there's pimples all over your face and you look, you're looking rough. And you, it's saying you examining, you're examining yourself in the mirror and then you turn around and you just go to school. You go to work as if it's all good. That's the idea that as we, we humble ourselves or, or we look at the Bible, maybe you do your Bible study. You, you read your Bible every day. You do it uh, just with discipline every day. But if you're not willing to enter into the things you're reading, it's as, it's as vain as looking at a mirror and doing nothing to change. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law 
And it's a, it's a crazy phrase here, the law of liberty. And I'll come back to that. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, continues faithfully, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, when I think about the law, I think about bondage, just I have to do, 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 and anything I do, I can't, I can't get freedom. And then we think about grace as this idea of liberty. And so when you say the, the law of liberty, it goes entirely against what we know the law to be. But the reality is, I, I didn't place it on the screen, but uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 says that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us by the Spirit, that he is fulfilling the law. And so it's this idea that the expression of grace, the expression of the power of God, even in the middle of trials and temptations, God's expression of victory of freedom and liberty is found when the Spirit of God is fulfilling in us the law. It's, it's a Spirit of God work in the heart of a believer. And then it says, he will be blessed in his doing. And I ask you this morning, as I close out, I'm going to pray here in a minute, but I ask you right now that are you, are you overburdened with a trial? I know your, your heart is heavy, uh, just, uh, just processing through maybe your trial. Uh, I, I encourage you, trust what he is doing. God is working this for a purpose that is good, even though it doesn't feel good at the time. So if you're overburdened right now carrying the, the weight of a, of a trial that is too difficult for you, trust what he is doing. Are you overcome by a temptation? Maybe it is, is extremely um, magnified right now in COVID-19. Maybe you're a lot more, spending a lot more time just sitting around the house and, and having engaged yourself in things that are productive. And because of that, you just kind of fall into temptation. Listen, believe what he says. That you shall know the truth and the truth has the power to set you free. Right now, I'm, I'm encouraging you right now. Uh, these are not my words. I'm saying this to encourage you in the Lord. If you are overcome right now with temptation, believe what he said. He is gonna give the victory, but you have to believe him and you have to enter in. The reality is if you truly believed that the truth has the power to set you free, it ought to drive you to know the truth. It ought to drive you to humble yourself and pick up your Bible and say, Lord Jesus, help me to see, help me to believe, help me to trust you. And so wherever your struggle is this morning, um, just be encouraged. Take the exhortation and move forward in your life toward what God has in store for you. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the encouragement of the truth of your word. Lord, as you know in my heart, I was so heavy-hearted. I was so burdened with the weight of this. And Lord, I was unable to study throughout the week because I was so heavy-hearted. But Lord, I've encouraged, I've found encouragement in you. And Lord, I believe this message is for your church. 
I believe this message is to encourage and to exhort. Lord, help us to obey, to believe, not, not just read, but believe in such a way that we would enter in by doing. We wouldn't just be hearers, but doers also. Lord, I pray this, this would have encouraged somebody in their walk with you. Lord, we look forward to the day that we gather again together as your church. Um, it's for your name and your glory that we pray. Amen.